0: Welcome to What Happened to You, the podcast that interviews footballers of the past today about their interviews from the past. Don't worry, it will all make sense when you listen. On this episode, supported by the Set Pieces, we talk to former Wrexham, Middlesbrough, FC Twenty, and Tranmere Rovers defender cum striker Billy Ashcroft about his focus-on interview for Shoot magazine from around 1978. You can find the original interview on our Twitter feed at WHTYpod and on our dedicated channel over at The Set Pieces, www.thesetpieces.com.
1: Matchcroft still hasn't changed.
0: Birthplace and date?
1: Uh, 1st of October 1952. I was born in Garston in Liverpool. And height? Still two. And do you still weigh 14 stone? I'm just over 14 stone, plus the uh, 18. <laughs> must be about 18 and a half stone now, I would think.
0: Oh well, Billy, welcome to the podcast. How are things for you?
1: That's great, Mark. Cheers. Yeah, uh, everything's great now just started back at work after about three months of lockdown so yeah back in the swing of things
0: well i think everybody can tell by your accent you're a scouser so let's get this out of the way straight away shall we blue or red there's only one colour in liverpool and that's blue
1: yeah good man um yeah i was watching i've been watching Everton since i was what six seven years of age so that would have been 1957
0: yeah well, both clubs are missing off your CV. Um, did the opportunity ever arise to sign for either Everton or Liverpool as a youngster, or even when you turned pro?
1: Well, actually, I didn't play football at school. I didn't start playing football at all till I was, what, 14. Uh, at school, I was, uh, I was a swimmer. I was one of the best swimmers in Liverpool at the time. Plus, I was the uh, Liverpool champion for the triple jump. Uh, and the teacher that we had for the athletic team said I'm going to let you train with the school B team to keep you fit uh, and I, I trained about four times and within the fifth time I'd already written to other clubs to, to clubs to play football and I signed for Blackpool so without playing for the school I was at Blackpool when I left Blackpool I went to Everton for about a month mm. and there's a great center called Tommy Jones you know, or TG Jones he was a um, I told at Everton and he said to me, you'll never make a footballer as long as you've got a hole in your anorak. So I signed for, that, to, uh, for the child at they said the same thing, uh, and um, I finished up at Wrexham. And my home debut was against Tramley, which is great because we battered them. Unusually um, for these shoot interviews,
0: they've not really published much about your childhood influences or favourite players growing up, so we'll put the record straight here. Was there any person, like a teacher or a parent or your parents, that spurred you on uh, to be a footballer? Uh, and who was your idol growing up?
1: Uh, first idol was Alex Young. Um, I got to meet the guy many years later and um, sat in the back of the car coming back from New Brighton or somewhere, and he was singing uh, "One Duncan Ferguson," which was great. <laughs> but then we signed Alan Ball, and I just took over my life. It was because I was ginger hair, and Alan was the same, uh, and I just wanted to be him until so I outgrew him. But a strange story was the guy who let me play football at school or, or train with the football team, a guy called Alan Moss. Uh, and he sat for 10 years behind me at the ground, at, at Evans Football Ground, same some number of seats, but about four seats back. And somebody mentioned one day about we are slagging players off, or they were slagging players off, and he, he said who he you talking to. He said Billy Ashcroft. So he climbed over the fence, and he the, the, the seats, and he said... I was at Saint Mark's, I was your teacher, and he was the one who actually got me in to the football sort of side of it, and I never looked back after. I loved it. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned about you know starting off at, at
0: Blackpool and then eventually ending up at Wrexham. Um, were you one of these players who had to do a real job, so to speak, before you got taken on as a, as a full time pro?
1: No, God, no, no, no. I was um, I was at the last year at school. I was 14, uh, and I played. I a, I played in some games over in um, Liverpool, and uh, t- a couple of trials that they had. And a fellow called Jack Daniels, strangely enough, which plays a big part in everybody's life. <laughs> <clears throat> he took me to Wrexham and I played on a, on a sassy for the, for the B team uh, and I'd done well. So the following week I was in the reserves, but I was 14 years of age. John Neal come out and he says, you know, you, I played against a professional wrestler called Auric Williams. He was uh, just a lunatic. He had me in the headlock from corners, you know, you talk about touch, tight touch, tight marking. Uh, and John Neal said, you did yourself proud, well done, blah, blah, blah. When you had to leave school, there's a job here for him gonna sit on the ground stuff. So three weeks later, I didn't tell anybody, but I found digs in a place called Mould and I left home and I went to, to Wales and the end was that. I mean, I, I got these digs in Mould and turned up on the Monday morning, knocked on his door and he said, well, now you're here, he said, oh, I'll, get it. I'll phone your parents, but obviously we didn't have a phone. So you have to send a letter to me, mum and dad, and tell me that I was signed for Wrexham. Mm. Well, it seems like you had a great
0: affinity for Wrexham because you named them as your favourite other club, apart from Middlesbrough, who you were playing with at the time of the interview. Um, your biggest disappointment was not winning promotion with them. And your favourite player was the mercurial Mickey Thomas, who you played, played with at the racecourse ground. Um, so it must have been really good times in North Wales.
1: Well, I'm on Facebook and there's an awful lot of uh, supporters talk about the, the good old days, um, like from 75 through to when they got promotion when I'd left, obviously, in 78. Uh, and John Neal, I mean, the man was unbelievable at spotting talent. We played a, a team called Marsh Wonders or uh, something to that effect from uh, Nash Shotton, and we beat them 26-0. And he came after the match, that said, I'm signing one of their players and I'm thinking, I hope it's not the bloody goalkeeper. It was an inside forward called Dave Smallman. He went on to play for Wales, for Wrexham, and went on to Everton. Uh, I I, I had a great partnership with Dave when he arrived. But it was, um, we had Dave, we had Graham Whittle, Joey Jones, Mickey Thomas. There was like a lot of young lads there. And we just got on great with each other, which is probably what's missing from today's football. You never see anybody. You know, you, you go to work, you go home. We were always in the pub on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then played on the Saturday. Well before we get onto
0: things how things went for you in Middlesbrough uh let's disc- let's discuss Billy Ashcroft off the pitch in 1978 um, firstly and i think this may reflect slightly on your surroundings growing up in liverpool at a time of industrial decline you were asked what you would be doing if you weren't a footballer to which you said unemployed
1: probably a bit tongue in cheek cuz my my dad i mean i went to high school i was not to look, you wouldn't think to look at me, but I was quite clever, um, and I was going to get a job at a company called Martindale and Carlisle as an artistic designer because that was one of the big things I did when I was younger. And my dad said, "No, I've got your granddad's tally," which meant I was going on the docks with him, and that's probably one of the reasons I thought bags are packed and going to Wrexham. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was an awful place. I mean, I loved the place where I lived. Garston was a fabulous place to live, but. To uh, so follow in your dad's footsteps. I mean, okay, he was like um, a rock singer or a footballer. I would have followed in his footsteps, but not a docker. No, yeah. not for me. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned in the interview uh,
0: that you were married with one son at the time. Um, how was it for them moving with you as a footballer, especially when you went out to Holland to play for 20 Enskede?
1: That was great. I mean, um, my son, when we went over there, they do enough for me. I mean, it was just one of the best times of my life. The, the, the people were fabulous. Um, and I was invited to somebody's house, you know, you can't stay in the hotel all the time, come stay with us and have a few drinks. And we met a headmaster of the school, the local school, and he said, don't send Nick to international school where they speak English, leave him with me and I'll get somebody on it and we'll get him speaking Dutch. Well, mm-hmm. within, a, I think it was three weeks, four, four weeks or whatever, he was fluent in Dutch. Because kids are like sponges anyway. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then he, he, he was doing German at school. He speaks Spanish. You know, clever lad. And I, I don't know where he gets it from because he's got my looks. Um, but yeah, and I've got a daughter called Amy. And it was strange because she spoke Dutch to the Dutch kids. Uh, one of the girls over the road was um, a dad played for FC20 called Michael Begadal, who was Danish. So she speaks Danish to her. Then on the other corner, there was Omar No Power, who were German. So she speaks speak to them in German. So she didn't really understand what one language was. It was all mixed. So yeah. that's probably one of the reasons why, although I stayed for an extra year, uh, and they asked me to stay for one more, and I said, no, we're gonna go back home to the Liverpool.
0: Yeah,
1: do you still speak the language yourself? I, I understand quite a lot of it. I understand more than what I thought I did. I've just been looking on the, um, the internet, and it was um, after Man United just signed a player. And I was listening to his interview, and I never thought to, to read what the subtitles were. I understood what he was saying. Hmm his dream to play for man united yeah a lot of a lot of the sounds in dutch are very similar to scouts, aren't aren't they with (laughs) it it is yeah but the weird thing was we signed a guy called jan sorensen who played for uh, bruges and he actually played in the european cup final against liverpool at wembley Mm. Uh, he played for bruges he was the captain for a few years and fc20 signed him so he said to um the the coach at the time fritz Korbach, who was an absolute star he said, uh, this new fella that we signed, does he like a beer? Or this, Billy Ashcroft, does he like a beer? So Fritz, yeah, oh yeah. He's a scouter called English, he likes a beer. So I get a phone call from Jan Sorensen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, Billy, do you fancy going for the pint in a game of darts? And I thought, what part of Kirby are you from? <laughs> but he's from the same place as Jan Mulvey. He's from Copenhagen. Yeah. And that's the way you speak English, with a Copenhagen accent. Yeah. So yeah, I was like having all the scouts over there. The, um, well, miscellaneous likes
0: were sunshine and sleeping, uh, and miscellaneous dislikes included shaving and gardening. Uh, and going by the big 1970s mop of hair and beard, the two must have been fairly, fairly similar. Uh, did that look help to intimidate opponents?
1: Yeah. I, it was just that I didn't really shave much. I had a Mexican moustache there, my sideburns were down here, so I shaved that little bit there. <laughs> so a bottle of aftershave would last me for five years, you know what I mean? It wasn't something I needed. But um, my dislikes are there, and it's changed now. I hate politics and politicians. Uh, I've grown up a bit since then, days, you know what I mean? I've got it written down here, what I, I did say. Um, but also, because I'm a driving instructor, so obviously I dislike bad drivers. Mm. There's a lot of things said about um, white van man and, and women drivers and that. You know, it's only certain people who are in a, in a rush. You know, It's like people trying to get from A to B too quick. It's like, mm. leave 10 minutes early, you're going to be late. So yeah, politicians, politicians and bad drivers. I don't mind shaving them. Not as much to to shave. Um, Well, your favourite TV
0: shows were absolute classics and total 70s throwbacks. So there was Happy Days and Indoor League. Now, I think most people will remember Happy Days with the Fonz and all that. Um, But for anyone not familiar with Indoor League, um, can you fill us in?
1: Well, it was Freddie Truman. He's at Aeopol City. And it was like skittles and, and bar, um, darts and arm wrestling and stuff like that. It was sort of really silly catchy. If you think about it now, you'd never do things like that. People pulling their arms off each other. But it's, um, at the time, it was just a bit of fun, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm big into comedy. I love me comedians, I'm, I'm big mates with Chubby Brown and um, or, or through the clubs out Liverpool with the, the old comedians like Mickey Finn and Eddie Flanagan and people like that. So one of my favourite problems at the moment is gone fishing with um, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse. Mm. Just, it's just fabulous. Yeah, um, so yeah, I love that. And also any documentaries with like, wildlife. I'll just sit for hours and watch it. I love
0: it. Uh, Were these the sort of games um, that the players got up to um, in the pub after training?
1: No, we did, to be honest, we didn't go to the pub after training. We'd, um, at Middlesbrough, we did have a snooker room. So some of them had to stop and, and play on that. And they had um, the, the electronic games, you know, these the, the games that you had in pubs on the tables. Well, I can't play stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I played guitar. So I'd go and play guitar and stuff and we'd maybe have a bet or something. But we weren't sort of bad gamblers. You know, you do get people now who are in trouble with it. But we just have a couple of quid and we are go and sit in something else, maybe play, maybe play cards or something. But um, then I get my favourite hobby, which was gardening, obviously. Well, you mentioned about playing the guitar there. Um, Music-wise, you've
0: listed um, as your favourites Paul McCartney and Queen. Are you still listening to them, or
1: have you moved on to a bit more something a bit more modern? Well, no, I'm, I've always been a Beatles fan. I always will be a Beatles fan. But as I say we've come from Liverpool. We play five a side normally on a Thursday, and we started it for the um, the musicians because they didn't sort of work on Thursdays and they like to play football. So we had the, the guy from the, the Searches, John McNally, he plays football with us. And there was Billy Kingsley from the Mersey Beats. And then there's a guy come from Australia from the Swinging Blue Jeans. So, I mean, these were kids out yeah uh, Bands that I loved when I was growing up. But then it's like the stuff that's changed since then, I would say, I mean, I love the Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl, and Ian Brody from the, the Lightning Seeds. I just love the Lightning Seeds. And then you've got some of the bands from years ago. From Liverpool, like the uh, the real thing, were absolutely fabulous, and then the Christians and that because I was always into soul music when I was a kid you know, the Temptations, uh, the, the Four Tops, anything Motown, but um, Liverpool was big in that, in that, so my sort of I know my my sort of 30s and 40s, um, but yeah, I, I, the Beatles, god almighty, oh when I go on my treadmill, I was off the Beatles on Sergeant Pepper's or Revolver. Um, You've listed your favourite actor as Paul Newman,
0: and you're not the first one um, in this whole series to have said that. Um, And your favourite actress was softcore porn star Sylvia Crystal. Now, I've never seen any of the famous Emmanuel films, Honest Gov, um, but she was quite the phenomenon back then, and you really had to go out of your way to watch those sorts of films in the 70s, I suppose, Um, because, you know, there was no internet. Very very few people had a video then either.
1: (laughs) No. Well, it sounds a bit weird if I said it was all tongue-in-cheek when you're talking about stuff, Pistole. Bum, bum. Yeah, that's changed now. I mean, my, my favourite actor now is Stephen Graham, like mm. in from Kirby in Liverpool. And he's been on some of these big sort of film productions and he did Little Boy Blue, which was like, really close to our hearts down here. Um, and he's just he's such a fabulous actor. He's really gritty. Uh, he can do comedy. He was in Snatch, I think, with, with Brad yeah. Pitt, so he's both thought up in Hollywood. And then because she's an Evertonian, Dame Judi Dench. Oh, just that's love right, her. Yeah. I love watching her when she's doing documentaries, I love watching the film she's in. But yeah, just fabulous actress. Oh, yeah. and, and um, Olivia Coleman. I really like Olivia, Col- Olivia Coleman because she's not such a natural. She can do comedy, she can do serious stuff, which, you know, I'm not so good on serious stuff.
0: OK, then, uh, we'll get back to Football Matters. And your biggest thrill was scoring against Manchester United. Now that's such a scouts answer. Was that for Wrexham or Middlesbrough?
1: Um, that was for Middlesbrough, and it was it was um, it was that Stepney in goal. And I, I, I say when I was a kid, I used to watch him. But I mean, Alex Stepney was one of the great goalkeepers of his time, um, and I don't think I'd scored against any of the bigger clubs. For, for, for Middlesbrough, I think I'd scored against, no disrespect to Birmingham, but I scored against Birmingham, but that sort of name tag Manchester United. Uh, and I think it was a, a 2 1 win. Uh, and it just, the some Park were ballistic. And it was just, it was a fabulous feeling. But I mean, there's been a few, I mean, I've, I've got it written down somewhere um, about your highlights. And to be honest with you, there's not many there. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was at FC20, we got promotion the second year I was there. Um, but I think one of the highlights of my career was when, I think it was 1973, I was voted into the, the team of the year, you know, the PFA awards, mm-hmm. which is voted by all the other players of, of the division. So to be sort of deemed the best centre forward in the third division, uh, when I look back on it now, I think, well, that's got to be the highlight of my career. Mm. Um you say
0: that your most difficult opponent um, was Jim Holton, who of course had his own terrorist chance which would have had me bricking it before a ball or a shin had been kicked six foot two eyes are blue big Jim holton's after you well he was neither six foot two nor did he have blue eyes but was he as hard as the song suggests
1: uh, he was rough he was um, we played Sunderland and he also crafted my neck with his studs and he'd give me down the back it cut me across the groin uh, and I just couldn't walk and we didn't have another sub to go on and it was we were drawing two each in the cup I was playing for Wrexham which was third division they were the first division Um, and I got took off I, I just couldn't stand up and I went up to the, the the bar obviously to have a few beers and he walked in I thought he's gonna kick me again here and he walked through So oh, a big man what a great game he bought me a pint mm. but it was like off the pitch different people but the, the most difficult opponent, I actually, we were playing at the Kipe against uh, Feyenoord and Sonny said, to him, the callback said to me, you're going to be playing against van Hannigan, who was a Dutch international. So I'm looking, I remember him playing, so I'm looking, where is he? I wonder what am he's there now. This bow-legged fella was limping, it looks like he's got one of these um, orthopedic shoes on. <laughs> he looks around, his eyes are red, because he's got conjunctivitis, he's got these like, milk bottle glasses on, he's got a limp, and he stooped and I'm thinking, I am going to absolutely tear this fella to pieces today. And I never got a kick. He was the, uh, incredible, It's like, he got changed and he put his underpants on outside his shirt and he put his the Superman cape on. And I just didn't get a kick. He didn't win the ball in the air, but I didn't. I never turned him, I couldn't bully him. And after the match he said, thank you very much for that I really enjoyed it. And I thought, well, you would have done. Because I did nothing. <laughs> but one of the best players I've seen. You know, it, I mean, even I, mean, I played against Cruyff while I was over there, and I'm Johnny Rep and that, but this fellow's still magic in my eyes. Van Hannigan, yeah. one of the best. Uh, well, you left Wrexham for Teesside in
0: 1978, which meant going up to the top flight for the first time in your career. Uh, and you've already mentioned John Neal. Um, he was the one who took you there. Now, I've interviewed a few other players who've worked under him, uh, and they've generally got nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, and you've named him as the biggest influence on your career. So what was it that made him so good to play for?
1: He made you believe. I mean, once he said to me, "Sir, I'm gonna, I'll take you when you leave school. It was as good as his promise. He taught me as a, I was nearly 15 years of age and he knew, I, I spoke to somebody else about this not so long ago, he knew when things weren't right. And he, he just came up to you one day because we used to go on a, um, a Wednesday night to, to a pub called the Panther Rockins to play darts. And on the Thursday morning, we're having a practice match and he just runs up alongside me. He's all right, big man, like, yeah, yeah. He said, I believe you had a good game of darts last night. You hit two 180s. So I said, yeah, I did, Gaffey, yeah. And he went, you must be putting some practice in to get that. And I went, yeah, I've got it, it's fine, no more. Didn't pull me in his office, didn't do anything, just that little subtle thing. So he knew how to do play, how to work with players and that. But if you think about, I said before, about the players that he brought through, the man knew his business and he's not just my boss, he was my friend. Uh, When I I got freed by Middlesbrough, he first phoned me up, he said, come down, we'll have you at Chelsea. Mm. And I went down to Chelsea, I was on the pitch with him, I shook hands with him. And then uh, I spoke to the chairman and I didn't get on with the chairman, uh, Ken Bates. And uh, I just said to John Neal, that's it, I'm, I'm leaving. Went home and there's two seats, uh, two flights of it uh, over to uh, Holland, and left the next day in time for FC Twenty. Mm. But John was, I mean, that Obviously, his passing was really sad, but I had the honour to like carry him with Mickey Thomas and Dave Small and Joey Jones and some of the lads from Chelsea. So it was a great honour for me. It was like a, know, a surrogate father, if you like. Yeah.
0: Well, your ambition was to win silverware with Borough, which wasn't unrealistic when you consider that you had some excellent players at Ayrson Park during your time there between 1978 and 82, including the likes of David Hodgson and Craig Johnston, who both went on to win a hatful of trophies between them at Liverpool, uh, mm-hmm. and David Armstrong, who was integral to that excellent Southampton side of the 80s and played for England. Um, you bobbed around mid-table for a few years before before getting relegated, and the cup record was patchy. What would it have taken? do you think, to push Borough on back then? um, I mean,
1: the easy answer is money, I suppose. I don't think John needed the money so much. He just needed backing. Um, If you think about the players you just mentioned, it was Dave Hodgson. I did a a Zoom cast with Dave not so long ago, and he said exactly the same thing. We had the makings of a really good team. We had the the, the blend of youth and experience, and he brought the likes of Craig Johnson, Dave Hodgson, Mark Proctor, who went to uh, Forest. Yeah. So we had all these young, young kids come through. We had young Stevie Bell that was in the wings as well. God, look, yeah. uh, passed away far too early. Um, and we had that, and then all of a sudden the team started getting sold beneath his, um, getting taken away beneath his feet, and it was like, why are you selling these players? And then it was uh, his hands were tied, and I think that's why in the end uh, it became untenable for him, and he just he left and went to Chelsea, and you see what a great job he did at Chelsea. But um, the other thing we were on about was we were talking about Bobby Murder taking over as, as manager. Well, my last year there, Bob didn't fancy me as a player, so I only played probably fifteen games, eleven games. Um, and they'd given the job to somebody who'd never been a manager before, and all the players had been sold, good players were getting sold, mm. and they gave it to somebody who'd not managed the team before. Never mind somebody like Warnick who could build a team. So I thought it was very unfair on Bobby Murder to actually put him in charge of that team and expect him to not just keep them up, but to win things. So, yeah, I think what we needed, I think we needed John Neal there for a couple more years, uh, maybe one or two sort of decent sign, like John signed Bosco Jankovic, uh, Mickey Burns and, and these people, and it was, they were great signings, and they were getting a really good blend. But then when somebody pulls the carpet from under your feet, uh, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So it all went downhill from there. Yeah.
0: Well, for Wrexham, you said your most memorable match was against Anderlecht in the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, and they were a real top European side in the 70s and 80s. What about for Middlesbrough?
1: What was your, what was your most memorable match for them? I'm going to get slaughtered for this now, aren't I? If you go to St. James' Park and you win 4-2 and you score two goals, and one of them is ahead from like 18 yards, uh, it's got to be the best time of the, up there. Cummins. Cummins nugging it way across to Bailey. Armstrong wide on the left and
0: unmarked. And a beautiful hit and a lovely goal by Ashcroft. Oh, that really was magical football. The ball pushed out to Armstrong on the left. Sends across the centre and up goes Ashcroft, the man. Many people have said I lost the goal
1: touch, and he rose magnificently. Gorgeous header. I loved it. I could also say, because uh, it was when I was at like, trees years of centre half, and we played Everton, and I got the ball off Jim Platt from our, our sort of um, possession, uh, and as I was moving forward and forward, everyone was just backing off. And about twenty years ago, I tell you. That I hit from 30 yards, but over the years it's gone up to 40, 45. So from 50 yards, I let go of my left foot and it bobbled into the net because in goal for Everton that day was Georgie Wood. And Georgie's blind as a bat and he didn't dive until he had the ball bounce in front of him. So by the time he hit the, 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 the ground first time, it got over Georgie's hands and just about touched the back of the net. But well, if you score against your, your home team for 35, 40 yards. Yeah, so I mean, that for me. It's got to be the highlights, but mm. yeah i'm still going to go with the underleg the match mm. well um you finished off
0: back on merseyside with a year at Tranmere rovers but before you became a bit of a trailblazer didn't you by going over to holland to play for 20. um mm. i mean that was you know you were a bit of a trailblazer weren't you at that time as i said um because there weren't many english players went abroad then um and as you, you mentioned van Hannigan, there you must have come across first of all so many of that 1970s Dutch side as they were sort of coming towards the end of their careers but also a lot of the 88 European Championship
1: winning side who were in the early part of theirs. Oh yeah I mean when I got over that, I was playing and I looked around and I was actually sat on the bench because I got um, somebody stood on my face and I had to have plastic surgery so I wasn't supposed to play for a couple of weeks but the coach said to me I'm going to put you on the bench anyway and he put me on with 10 minutes ago, but coming off the other bench was Johan Cruyff and I was like I couldn't believe it but also I played against Johnny Rep, uh, naskins uh, Rude Kroll Serbier uh, and then sort of just to the start of my second third year the likes of uh, Rude Krollet uh, Van Basten I had to play against Ajax against Van Basten and he never got a kick except for the three goals he scored obviously um, Frank Reichardt and the Kuhlman brothers so oh, this was the the new of so that sort of new team that they, they were building, uh, and it was an absolutely fabulous time to be over there. Mm. Well, um, what happened to Billy Ashcroft after football, and what are you doing these days? Um, I finished at Tranmere, which I didn't have the greatest time. So, I mean, I, I did it with the, for Frank Williamson, he was a, a great bloke, but um, I think I just I stayed on one year too long, um, and I did. Not some bits and pieces in Liverpool, and I was just, I was going for a beer one night in the local, and one of the guys that was there, he worked for Whitbread, and he said we're looking for pub managers. So within about 12 months, I'd had, I had a pub in Liverpool, and that's how I moved to Southport because he gave me another, a different pub up here. And I think I was in the pub for 12 years, and I'm now a driving instructor, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for, since 2003, I think. Best thing I've ever done. I absolutely love it. It's like scoring a goal. You know when you've you got a kid who gets in and got two left feet and they don't know the left and the right and then you see them coming back to the test centre and they go, I've passed. It's like scoring a goal. So, yeah, it's a great feel. I love the job. Um, what would 1980s you think of
0: you now and also vice versa? How do you look back on yourself, uh, sort of 1970s, 80s, um, and, and how, do you, how do you view yourself back then?
1: I think 1980s will look at me and go, what the hell have you done to my body? It's been, it's been, it was only loaned to you. Um, I look back and I look at some of the haircuts and I think, oh, for God's sake. I mean, you don't think about in 30 or 40 years' time that people from now are going to be looking back at you there and saying, you look like Jeff Lynne or Mungo Jerry or, and those clothes you wear. Why didn't you just wear a normal suit instead of the, the big collars and look like a butterfly? but I, I just I think maybe uh, what would I say to myself you could have done better that that lad that started off I think if you listen more instead of being a gobby scouser at times and I'll just say I'll do it my way and uh, listen to a bit more uh, maybe put a little bit more effort in I mean I did try I gave 100% but there's always ways you can do better
0: yeah well, Billy, it's been brilliant to have you on. Thanks so much for chatting to us. Um, if anybody wants to follow you on Twitter, they can find you at Billy Ashcroft
1: 9. Is that right? That's the one, yeah. Fantastic. I'm also on Facebook as well, so you can look on there and you'll see my exploits as a driving instructor. Oh, brilliant. Well, hopefully we can get you a few bookings anyway. instructor. as a driving
0: instructor. That's not the one with Sylvia Crystal in now, is it? No. If, what's his name? Robin Askew or something like that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks very much again, Billy. Cheers.
1: You're more than welcome, Mark. Thanks for
0: listening to What Happened to You. You can find us across all the main podcast platforms, so please don't forget to subscribe. For updates about future guests and new episodes, follow us on Twitter at whtypod. For extra content related to what happened to you, including the original interviews that inspired this episode, visit our friends The Set Pieces at www.thesetpieces.com and follow them on Twitter at The Set Pieces. We'll be back again soon, so until next time, goodbye.